Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale March 13th, 2019. Friday the 13th, which is actually a Wednesday. Whoa. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And every week on this show, we talk about all the new comics that come out. The print issues, the digital releases, stuff that's hitting our apps. Loving them. Sweet, sweet apps. Uh, Stuff that you can read on Marvel Unlimited. Tell you why we're so excited about them. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Tucker, you're going to kick us off, right? Yeah, we're starting with my first pick of the week. This is Age of Conan Bellet, Queen of the Black Coast, number one. It's written by Teeny Howard with art by Kate Nimchik, colors by Jason Keith, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I'm just a massive, like, before I even opened this book, I truly judged it by its cover because I'm a massive fan of Teeny. I think she's just an incredible writer. Yes. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the covers because I wanted to talk about the covers. When you said you were judging it by the covers, oh, yeah, there's these... some great covers no, to this. No, there really are. Afu-chan has amazing variant cover. Sana Takeda has a great cover. It's sexy yeah. and crazy and really cool. His pirate look. And Sarah Pakeli has a cover. Come on. They're great. I know we, we start talking about, var- at least I start talking about a lot of the variant covers lately, but just because I get to see them, I'm like, yeah. we do some really cool variants. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, it's it's always so much fun to see. Um, but what was so cool about this issue is that it felt like a mix of a bunch of different genres in a really awesome way because you feel that kind of Hyborian influence, you know, it, you, you, you feel the world, but also has like, it feels like a great pirate story, which you might be able to guess based just simply on the name, but it also feels like a great kind of family story. There's a really interesting heart to this. It also feels like a great revenge story, which I was super excited about. That is kind of always amazing fodder for storytelling, and it was something I was really excited to see start to unfold in this story. There's a really interesting part because it seems like at the beginning of the story, here we go, we're off to adventure, and then something goes wrong, and the adventure needs to stop, and everything kind of changes course as a result. That's how we enter the story in this kind of unexpected way, which I thought was really cool. There's a really great cast of characters that emerge as we go along, and that was so much fun to read because Kate Niemczyk adds so much to that with her art, which is just really, really wonderful. Yeah, she uh, worked on Mockingbird okay. uh, for us a couple years ago. Yeah. I loved that run. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, all of it combined is just the best. Uh, I, you know, I'm all for exploring different corners of kind of the Hyborian Age and, and uh, the the Age of Conan, as it's put here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you know, I, what's interesting about Bella is that this is she's a character I imagine Robert E. Howard created yeah. as part of the mythos. Yeah. We're getting more or less her origin here, mm-hmm. but we know she is connected to Conan later on. But like. Her as this adventuring pirate queen, like those stories are there. But I was reading this and I was like, I get vibes of, you know, we all think about our own pop culture experiences Mm -hmm. and the things that we reference in our minds. And for me, it went to One Piece, Mm. uh, the manga and anime about pirates, about this, you know, this character who just wants to be king of the pirates. And, you know, Bella just, she wants like a bit of revenge, but she wants to adventure. She wants to be the number one pirate, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I got that vibe. And with Kate's art, which is a little bit like of that style, it was just so cool. I, I loved it. And I think it's neat because you don't have to be a big Conan person to dig into this. You don't like you can enjoy this just 
on its own merits. Oh, yeah. Conan doesn't. It's not like he's walking through like, oh, hello, right? I gotta go. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's not in the book. It's just in his world, mm-hmm. and you don't need to have read Conan the Barbarian to see why Bellet is this awesome like goth pirate warrior yeah. queen badass. I, yeah. Very excited for more of this. Hence the match made in heaven and the obvious choice to have teeny read it yeah yeah totally uh up next is age of x-man apocalypse and the extracts number one this is written by tim seeley with art by salva espin colors by israel silva letters by vcs travis lanham this one is neat because the idea is that apocalypse is sort of a hippie-ish love and togetherness rebellious cultish leader Mm -hmm. dude who's rebelling against the X-Men and this sense that, like, as mutants, you should be alone. You There should be no togetherness, no love. You can work together, but there's no, like, emotion to things. Mm-hmm. You know, Apocalypse, in the regular Marvel Universe, he's all like, ah, survival of the fittest, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Here, he's sort of like, hey, man, let's, yeah. let's just, like, chill out, bro. Let's, like, get together, look at some art, and then, like, maybe we'll snuggle. And it's... Real fun. I, I like that. And it's a, it's a really neat idea. And he has his light riders, not his horsemen or his dark riders. And they are iBoy, Dazzler, Kitty Pride, and this character named Unveil. And it's one of these things. I don't, I don't know how much we talked about it leading up to Age of X-Men, but it seems like every one of these books has a new character as part of the core. Mm-hmm. We have one in Marvelous X-Men. We have Unveil here. So I I really dig that. There's the, the new character who uh, has like – the hologram AI technology, like hologram background technology yeah. in Shannon's book and the Nightcrawler book. Mm-hmm. Like, but they're adding like really cool tapestry elements to this world, which is real fun. Plus, this also has Genesis, who is Apocalypse's son. Uh, there's cool twists here for the universe. And uh, there's a big, scary Russian menace on the horizon. Okay, next up is another Age of X Man story. This is Age of X Man. The Marvelous X-Men number two. It's written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler. Those wonderful Vancouver lads with art by Marco Faya, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. As there are a bunch of Age of X-Men stories, this one uh, involves Colossus Storm, Magneto, Nature Girl, X-23, Nightcrawler, Jean Grey, and X-Men. And uh, this was the limited series that kicked things off for us in terms of the Age of X-Men. And again, we kind of kick off the story with this this realities version of Apocalypse. What's always really interesting in a, in a story like this where we, the reader, or we, the viewer, know more than the characters know between us being kind of frustrated with where the characters are and us being unable to be surprised by what's coming because we kind of know the nature of, in this case, like what the reality of their situation is. We know more and we we don't know everything. We're kind of getting into this darker place and, you know, things are starting to be unveiled and in a way the utopia is starting to crumble, uh, which is really, really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, up next is Amazing Spider-Man number 17, and I'm going to be a little bit crazy right now. Whoa. This is a wild card fifth pick shared by Tucker and I. Oh, my. Uh, But this is Amazing Spider-Man number 17. It's the first part of Hunted. Yes. If you don't count the previous two issues, which were (laughs) tie-ins to Hunted, (laughs) this is the first actual part of the story, and it is written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Umberto Ramos, 
inks by Victor Olazaba and colors by Edgar Delgado. Oh, man. So the quick story here is that Craven the Hunter, he's been gathering animal-themed heroes and villains, putting them together in sort of these pens and, and capturing them, setting them up to be hunted by the world's grossest best hunters, like nasty, horrible human beings who hopefully all eventually die of syphilis or <laughs> something else very painful. I am very much against people hunting animals. Like yeah, it, sure. I just these jerks hunting animals for no other reason than they're like does that make take a piece of their flesh right like does that make corner? mr sergey your most hated villain just by the, his very nature yeah i i am torn i think you so see the thing about craven is i didn't read a lot of craven stories growing up mm. because he was dead right so my experience to craven is mainly craven's last hunt and then him coming back and being not like the same. Yeah. Right. He came back and he was a little bit different and he was torn up about what he was, why he's returned, right. all this stuff. And that's sort of bubbling up here. Yeah. I think he's gross. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think he's pretty nasty, but I also look at him in the pages of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl and what Ryan did yeah, with the totally. character yeah. and sort of took him in a different direction where you're like, oh, I, people can change. And like that was yeah. an interesting thing. Here it's looking at him from the lens of more attuned to Craven's Last Hunt, of him having these thoughts, these desire, like he doesn't feel right being alive. Mm -hmm. it's a, he's a really fascinating character. Mm -hmm. You could tell Nick loves that original story oh, yeah. and is really playing into that and like the sense of anguish. There's I'm looking at a panel here of Craven saying like he needs to die and it has to be by the hands of the spider or whatever it is. And he's just like so distraught. But it's not time yet. Like yeah. he has to go through these things. Yeah, even down to the, like the captions themselves. Like it's so evocative yeah. of Craven's last time. It's really it's cool. so good. Uh, it just this feels like such a deep part of Spidey history. Tons and tons of characters who are you know in this. You know whether it's Black Cat or lots of obscure villains or Spider-Man villain. Like all kinds of characters showing up in here. But I above all, I have to give kudos to Umberto Victor and Edgar on the art team here. Mm -hmm. This is some of the tightest. And, and just coolest, moodiest, best art this team has done in recent memory, which is saying a lot since it's one of Marvel's best oh, yeah. art teams. Like yeah. quadruple A. There's mm -hmm. triple A. There's quadruple A. Yeah. And that's what Umberto and his guys do. And generally his guys being Victor and Edgar. And like these flashback pieces with Black Cat and the way the crosshatching is done, the shadowing. It is gorgeous. The vivid flowing action. You get the creepy moments. Really some heartbreaking beats in here. This is Nick and, and Umberto and everybody swinging for the fences, and I love it. Totally. Next up we have As Guardians of the Galaxy, number seven. It's written by Colin Bunn with guest art by Matteo Buffagni and Stefano Landini. Colors by Federico Blee. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I've really enjoyed seeing this team kind of emerge from not a team at all to like at this point something that feels like really if not a team then certainly modeled after like a team dynamic because there are so many different players here with so many different perspectives something that i love it's a kind of a classic it's another classic kind of house of ideas thing of like something like krakoa or something like ego the living planet which we're dealing with here is just so much fun because like the very ground you stand on is in a way the chaos, it's the enemy. And so there's kind of no way out. It's so much fun. So to see that be the case here, to see Ego, which I always love to see rendered in kind of any artist's different take on Ego Living Planet, which is a really interesting one because at the end of the day, it's going to be a ball. 
You know what I mean? Like ego is a round planet. Like, okay, that's what you got to do. Um, but to see, um, did he have the mustache in here? Like the beard? Yeah. I like, I like it when, you know what? He's he, just got himself a right. little goatee going Yeah, we've kind of seen like an, uh, like, yeah, a goatee or like an H&M, like handlebar yeah. times before. Yeah. Uh, he looks kind of clean shaven in this one. Maybe Probably had some stubble. Like a lawnmower yeah. going yeah. through. I got you, boss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So uh, to have that kind of be the central element that is just kind of shaking the ground beneath the Asgardians here, while we're also having this kind of other kind of planetary, interplanetary scale throwdown kind of thing happening is really awesome. Yeah, it's a great issue. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, too. Like, Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sibolsky loves this book. (laughs) I've heard him just talk about it to random people in the elevator, honest (laughs) to goodness. Like, he was just, you're going to be reading Asgardians of the Galaxy? And I'm just like, (laughs) all right, C.B. loves this book. And it's I can see why. It's a lot of fun. And this book has given us a team of Ravagers with Yondu on it, but also Planet Terry and a bunch Mm -hmm. of other characters. And I hope somehow, some way, they get their own book or we get yeah, to see more yeah. of them because that's so much fun. All right, up next is Avengers No Road Home number five. This is the good stuff. Uh, <laughs> this is written by Jim Zub, Mark Wade, and Al Ewing with art by Sean Isaacs, colors by Marcio Menez and Eric Arseniego with letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This was very close to being one of my picks, but... I used to uh, I used to do the price guide for Wizard Magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, 12, 13 years ago. If I was still doing it, I would take this issue and it would be like a spotlight. I would point out that this is going to be the hot, hot, hot pick. <laughs> like this is one of those books that is going to be the one that, you know, you're going to be like, I will take two, please. One to bag and board and never to touch and one to read. Was that the vernacular? Hot, hot, hot? Was uh, that a, a, an official designation? Probably. We were ridiculous. It was very (laughs) juvenile over there as it is over here. Uh, But there's big surprises in here. Not going to talk about it. But when we dive into it, the Hulk in this issue is terrifying, terrifying warrior monster. You've got him riding into battle in the dream dimension, riding nightmares, really creepy ebony monster horse. And it just is the coolest image in the world. It's one of my favorite images of the week. Sean's pages, they're just so good. His Hulk, so sinister and massive and just vicious. You've got the major turning points here in the Nyx versus Avengers fight. It like goes one way, then it goes another. And at one point I was like, holy crap, what is happening? Yeah. It was really cool. Some really great Hercules moments. And all that said, there's a letter by Jim Zub at the end, which is also tremendous. Even if you've missed one through four, I would suggest you pick this up just to get your get a little tasty taste. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be like, okay, I got to go pick up the other four. And I need to pick up number six to see right. what happens. Yes. Yeah. There are a couple issues this week because as we're going through, I'm being reminded, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was one of them where I'm just like there were some pages in here where I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, losing my mind. So, so good. Next up, though, we have Dead Man Logan, number five by Dream Team writer at Brisson, artist Mike Henderson, colorist Nolan Woodard, and letter VCs Corey Pettit. Talk about turning points. Talk about big issues in a kind of Dead Man Logan has to share something in common with No Road Home in that they are kind of limited. We know how many issues there are going to be. That felt like a huge turning point issue of No Road Home for me. This feels like a really fascinating turning point issue of Dead Man Logan for me because this is Dead Man Logan's story. This is uh, Old Man Logan's journey to his end. But what's so fascinating 
in this issue in particular, it's been happening slowly, but it really matured into something uh, in this issue was you would kind of expect Mysterio to be like this MacGuffin, this kind of thing that like he's chasing, he's chasing, he has to like claw through other characters, other smaller villains on his way to the big bad, on his way to get the thing that he wants, which is to kill Mysterio of this reality. But what's been so fascinating is that this is almost a Mysterio book in the same way that it's an Old Man Logan book. And he really is, I, I think Ed it does an amazing job at capturing what an enigma that character is, mm. how hard to define that character is. It's really, really fascinating because in a lot of ways, this isn't like a journey to an end point like I always expected it would be. This is a journey to the death. It's more of a chess match, which is really interesting because... Old Man Logan is in a rage. He's on his way to get what he wants, and he knows that the end is coming. But when he makes a move, Mysterio makes a move in return. Mysterio is kind of swirling around his own cast of characters at the same time, making moves and decisions regarding them. Ed Brisson, just one of my favorite writers. Uh, and, of course, we have some great glob action in here. <laughs> um, uh, always look forward to just the glob action alone in this series, but you're really starting to see the effects of time of Old Man Logan's regenerative abilities breaking down. You're seeing like when he gets shot, it's not easy for him anymore. <laughs> like he, it takes him like he is down for the count for a little bit and it, it really takes a lot out of him. So you're, you're feeling the weight of all of that mixed in with these really, really incredible character um, building moments, these moments where I really just have no idea where we're going to go next. I, I, and I've kind of I feel like I've been saying that a, a lot about Dead Man Logan. But, yeah, it is crushing it for me. Yeah. Um, such a great series. Also, if you want to just some great shots of Mike Henderson drawing Wolverine's claws through people's faces. Yeah. This is your book. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. uh, up next is Magnificent Ms. Marvel number one. And it's my second pick. That's right. And it is written by Saladin Ahmed. Pencils by Minkyo Young. Inks by Juan Vlasco, colors by Ian Herring, letters by VC Joe Caramagna. Uh, again, I got to give shout outs. There's really great cover by Elsa Chartier and Matt Wilson. Another one by Babs Tar, which you guys know Sonic the Hedgehog? Yep. Are you familiar with his sidekick, Tails? Did you know that Tails' real name is Miles Prower? What? Miles Prower, P R O W E R. Miles per hour. Wow. What? <laughs> right? Right? Wow. What does that have to do with this? I was looking at Bab Star's uh, name and I was like, Bab Star. Sure. Could be that. Yeah. Or it's just her name is Bab Star. <laughs> I don't know. But Miles per hour blew my mind yeah, when, I, sure. when I found out about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Oy. Um, Look, this this is one of my most anticipated issues of 2019 because. Ms. Marvel for so long, Kamala Khan for so long has been synonymous with G. Willow Wilson, with Nico Leon. Uh, so glad that Ian is sticking with the character because it's so funny as you're reading it and uh, Minkyu has this really incredible style that I love so much, but at the end of the day, it still feels so Ms. Marvel and we'll get to talking about Saladin in a second, but just strictly down to the colors. It's really hard to capture how essential to this character Ian Herring's colors are. It's it's so incredible. I love talking about colorists, but uh, I think Ian has a special relationship with Kamala, and it's uh, it is so wonderful to see. But 
It was awesome because Saladin uh, recently jumped on uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and kind of instantly putting his stamp on the character, knowing instantly from the start what direction he wants to go, and he's off like a shot. It felt like the same thing with this, literally from page one, where we're examining this this interesting, fascinating mythology of the character that he is just diving directly into. It's so cool. He understands the heart of this character, which I think is so important. Um, and uh, I think a lot of that comes down to the family dynamics of this character. She's a Jersey City hero at the end of the day, and, and that doesn't just mean the geography of that. That means that that's her home base. That's where her nucleus of characters live. That's where her heart and soul is in a lot of different ways. So that is so essential to this character. You know, a salute to G. Willa Wilson and the entire creative team that kind of made Ms. Marvel who she is. But now I'm so excited to see where uh, she's going next. Uh, it is just a delight and just such a joy to see Ms. Marvel go from success to success to success. And yeah, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have Marvel's Annotated. This is book two of four. Uh, and it's written, of course, by Kurt Busiek with art by Alex Ross, letters by Richard Starkings with Jeff Gauchel. This is the 25th anniversary of Marvel's, a real landmark moment in Marvel Comics history. I will be doing more with uh, Marvel's coming up in the future, hopefully sometime early summer, which I'm super excited about. And these have been like the number one amazing guide to diving into Marvel's, to what Marvel's meant at the time, to uh, what really just the incredible kind of groundbreaking moment that it was. And it still reads, of course, just as gorgeously, as amazingly as it ever did. But yeah, I mean, it, it is... Um, there's tons of stuff in this issue. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to like, encapsulate. You know, there's... The script, there's notes, background, bonus materials, mm -hmm. like page by page, panel by panel, like explanation of the cameos and the photo references. Right. And like, right. you know, here are the Beatles and and here's, uh, you know, this actor or here's this person, whatever. All this stuff is in there, which is really cool. One of the most fascinating things I found in this issue was that there are four different pitches for the series mm. reprinted in this telling us that this landmark legendary book was not perfect from the start. Right. It had to go through iteration and iteration, iteration, iteration to get to the point where we got it now. So even like proving that even the classics still take a lot of work, a lot yeah. of time, and, and they are not, you know, what you think they are from the get-go, which is really cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it is just a dictionary at the same time as a novel at the same time as a comic there's so much in here i am like holding on to these for dear life yeah if you want to learn how to make comics these are great yeah. issues to to look at totally uh up next is old man quill number three written by ethan Sachs, art by robert gill colors by andres mosa letters by vc's joe caramagna this issue is got the bar fights Old man gladiator of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard who's just wiping people out. got a really neat connection to an Old West gunslinger, which I found really, really fun. That was so cool. Yeah, it's got some ghost riders. And uh, one of my favorite last pages of the week, the, one of the things that this series really nails is the, the feeling of age and weight of time and life and all its yeah. experiences on 
the characters, yeah. uh, especially through the art with what Patrick is doing here. And you look at a character like Rocket or Gladiator and Quill, and you feel how much they've dealt with. Mm-hmm. Up to this point, I mean, things are going like out of control from this issue on. But up to this point, it, it, I like kind of was reminded of like Seven Samurai or like Magnificent mm-hmm. Seven. You know what I mean? It's got that Western vibe. These heroes that come into this town and 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 uh, which I really enjoyed. Next up, we have The Punisher number nine. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Simon Kudransky, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is part four of War in Begalia for Frank Castle, and it feels like this cauldron. It feels like Frank, I mean, he's been in prison. He's kind of been stuck in what feels like this you really get a sense of kind of the claustrophobia of being stuck in a prison with like a hydra people everywhere that Frank, you know, must be feeling. And uh, that's really fun because it's breathless. It is just constant action, just to the bone Frank Castle. It was kind of like I laugh a lot of the time reading Matt's Mm. Punisher because it's just like you just keep thinking like, how does this get more like so essentially Frank Castle. Like, how does he out Punisher, the Punisher, every single time? In particular, as we turn towards the end of this, just kind of the thing where it just makes you, like, throw the book up in the air. Like, oh, we're going there now. Yep. Like, oh, my God. And it, it's just it, it's just so much fun to read. I, I, like, the, the thing that ran through my head, uh, runs through my head reading this storyline is, like, it's not that, you know, the Punisher's stuck in here with all the bad guys. It's all the oh, bad yeah. guys are stuck in there with the Punisher. <laughs> yeah. And it's so much fun. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, up next is Runaways number 19. And this is our first post Chris Anka issue. Wow. It's written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Andres Genolet, with colors by Triona Farrell and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, covered by Chris. But I know we're going to miss Chris and Matt Wilson. Chris is still doing these covers. But Andres and uh, Triona, they just come in and make those transitions totally. seamless. Totally. It is, it's so good. Yeah. The focus on this issue is on on Molly and uh, Alex. They're going off together after all the stuff with the Pride and the, the children of the Pride or the children of the Gibberum uh, last issue. Alex takes powder and Molly goes with him. So we get a really adorable issue of both sunshine and gloom as Molly is just like excited and happy. And she's a little kid where she's like 12, 13 now. And she's just popping with energy. And Alex is just like, you shouldn't be here with me. He's like, yeah. he's almost like grumpy Wolverine ish. Right. Uh, it's really good. Also he's dead and they get into like the fact that he's alive, but he's really dead. It's really interesting stuff. It's a lot of fun. You could tell rainbows having a blast with it. I just like the elements that she's playing with here and like putting these two together, putting them in a different environment, mixing it all around. I just think Andres is a perfect totally. fit for this book with like facial expressions. The color palette is still right on point. Everything about it keeps us into what we've loved about the runaways this past like almost two years. Completely. Next up, we have another good one. This is Shuri number six. It is my... First pick of the week? First pick of the week. Yeah, like 1.5. Yeah. Because we yeah. each had a point five. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 
It is written by Vita Ayala. Oh, yeah. So great to see Vita jump on board here with art by Paul Davidson, colors by Triana Farrell, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. It's a two-issue, first part of a two-issue storyline where Shuri is teaming up with Miles. And based on this issue, I want a book focused solely on the two of them, Shuri and Miles. Uh, It's them becoming friends, doing science, fighting bad guys, having fun in Brooklyn. (laughs) It would be the best. Uh, So, yeah, Shuri's in Brooklyn. She's looking for that wild space mantis thing from the previous few issues. And she finds Miles, who's battling a new villain called Collision. And it's just like a cool new thing like that just felt fresh and vibrant to see these characters together to see this new uh, like villain that they're going up against there's a sequence in this story where miles and shuri are talking to their respective moms it is so good mm. it is so funny one way or another you you like relate to one of the conversations or both of the conversations and it like talking to their moms brings them clarity and direction actually connects the two heroes in a new way then they get into this conversation where they're talking about being their own heroes and sort of like getting out of the shadows of other Spider-Man or other Black Panthers. And then they fist bump and it's just such a pure, great moment yeah. in comics. I'm loving all of this, especially Paul Davidson and Triona Farrell as well. The colors, they just like pop off the page in a very cinematic Spider-Verse meets Wakandan type of way. Mm-hmm. Like you... You see the influences that are very specifically brought together for this. It's so good. Paul's art, so detailed. He has that exaggerated, almost graffiti-ish way of drawing things, especially when he draws Miles. Like, the way he's moving, like, yeah, he's just such vibrancy. It's a lot of fun. Also, Paul Davidson's eyebrow game is on point. I think <laughs> it is without par this week. Check him out, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong. <laughs> Up next is Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider number six, written by Shauna McGuire, art by Takeshi Miyazawa, colors by Ian Herring, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I love Takeshi's Gwen so much. Her, like, facial expressions, especially when she's with her dad or with her friends, like, he's just having a lot of fun, really selling her this, like, late teenager, her attitudes and her feelings coming through the way she looks. I also love Shauna on this book. It's not quite as absurd and weird as the previous series right. was, but instead it feels like it gets more focused on the psychological part of things. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? I you got know you. what I'm saying? I got you. Okay, great. Of course, we still have stuff like the Bodega Bandit with his little like so hamster. Fun. So much fun. And I love that, but we're seeing Gwen and she's at home. She's practicing. She's like living this new life in this new reality where she is Spider-Woman and the whole world knows it, which completely throws everything for a loop. It's already starting to bite her on the butt in this issue, but that's what makes for a really, really good drama. And I think that's why I think Shannon is having such a great time with this book. And the looks for characters here, there's a man-wolf interpretation here in this universe, and he looks really neat. Love it. Yeah. Next book this week is Spider-Man versus Deadpool, number 47. It's written by Robbie Thompson with art by Matt Horak. Ink assists by Scott Hanna, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Essentially what's going down right now is on their way back from the negative zone, uh, Spidey and Deadpool found a world where everything went wrong. And there's like only a handful of heroes that are stuck around, including a really cool 
kind of post-apocalyptic. I don't want to say that. I feel like that's so many strings attached, but like post-everything-has-gone-wrong version of Cindy Moon. One of my favorite characters, a character that obviously Robbie knows incredibly well. So to pull that into the story is just the best. I think uh, we got to talk about those, like the char- like the heroes that are left yeah. that Spider-Man and Deadpool team up with are so good. So yeah. you have Cindy Moon, who is Silk, but she has like fused with Warlock, the yes. techno-organic new mutant Warlock, which is so great. But then you have Kristar, the Crystal Warrior, <laughs> uh, who is now the Spirit of Vengeance, yeah. which is so much fun. Kristar, I mean, sure. Why not? <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, it's so absurd. You've got like this devolved Wolverine who's all like gnarly and beastly. Yeah. And then, oh, I don't want to spoil Puck. Yeah. Because Puck has a great surprise. Yes. And of course, Deborah, one of the the talking sharks, mm-hmm. shark people. Yeah. yeah, I think you just pretty much totally captured the entire spirit of this series by saying, "Sure, why not?" Like that is so much of what I always feel reading this, like so joyously. It's just like, yeah, okay, let's do that. Let's go here, and uh, it is so much fun. Another thing that's gone on here is that, uh, and it's uh, how inventive Robbie is with Deadpool and like the Deadpool tropes and the Deadpool abilities and things like that. One of them here is Deadpool can no longer read captions or break the fourth wall, which is its own fun way to play with things. And it like sends Wade into this existential crisis because if he can't access this fourth wall, then what is reality? What is that reality? What is his reality? And like (laughs) when you read the book, you're like, Oh man, what is happening? It's right. a lot of fun. So to see then that kind of is all set up in a way. And then you get to see Matt Horak just go insane. I feel like this is Robbie writing this. He must have known that he was setting up Matt for some slam dunks because there's some just really incredible work going on here. There's such a varied cast of characters and abilities and background to this story that there's just so much to dive into for this art team and they just crush it. I mean, there's so much going on, especially for a book with like two of the talkiest characters in the Marvel Universe where like so much of what we want to see for them is just like them bantering back and forth. So when we get to see like the fire, the explosions, the like city-wide action going on here, it's to be savored, and I think they just do an incredible job. Yeah, totally. All right, up next is Star Wars Age of Republic General Grievous. This one is written by Jody Hauser, art by Luke Ross, colors by Java Tartaglia, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. A bunch of cool variant covers. The title of this issue is Burn. I don't know why I said it like that. It just felt right. That was vaguely Grievous-esque. What is your Grievous impression? Oh, my God. All right. One second impressions. Here we go. Kenobi. <coughs> no. <laughs> your face. I think I went like, too hard. Your memory banks were like you're like I could see little yeah. Tucker inside your brain like going through yeah. files of like file. yeah. oh, what's this impression? What's this? Go with this one. Go with this one. Go with yeah, this yeah. one. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah that that worked though. Uh, but man, Grievous is a jerk. Yeah. There's a really cool background on the creation of the character, particularly his voice, which you so perfectly yep. parroted there it. in the background of this issue. The cough being something that George Lucas like incorporated into it because he was sick, like some (laughs) other stuff and like various little things about that. So you have to definitely read that. Uh, In this issue, he kills some Jedi. He ends up going into this Jedi temple to take whatever is at the heart of the temple, which is neat because what is at the heart of the temple sort of twists him inside and out. 
allowing us to see what a pre-cyborg Grievous actually looks like. Yeah, that was really uh, Which cool. I had no idea. I don't know if that had been shown before. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I've ever seen it. That, that was always... Uh like one of the coolest elements of Grievous is that he's like half alien, half robot. And so to see that version of him was so awesome. I, I've, I've really loved all these like age of Republic Jody stories just because I thought of it when you'd mentioned psychological heart, because like that is kind of the core of all of these different one shots is like analyzing the psychology of these characters, like what scares them the most and like what motivates them, but also like the heart of these characters in terms of just like who they are and like what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, and in Grievous' case, it's just like kill Jedi. But, you know, we get to examine so much more. It's been, yeah, just a blast. And we're going to uh, blast, like the swear word in the Star Wars universe. We're moving on to another Star Wars book with Star Wars Han Solo Imperial Cadet number five, uh, it's written by Robbie Thompson with pencils by Leonard Kirk, inks by Danielle Orlandini and Corey Hampshire, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This wraps up Imperial Cadet, and it is utter Han Solo. I, you know, we've talked about that a lot, about how perfectly this captures the spirit of a young Han, but what's also so much fun to me is, like, all of the trappings around this story to see the titular war of the Star Wars going on to see Han in the middle of it on kind of the the wrong side to see Han Solo in in this different light to see him in this different setting in a way that would seem hard to imagine because he's like the ultimate rogue so to see him like in like a soldier's you know uniform and to kind of attempt to fall into line in that way is just the best. And and we kind of zoom off. We zoom out of here in uh, in kind of classic Han Solo fashion. Yeah. Up next is Tony Stark, Iron Man number nine, written by Dan Slott with Jim Zub, art by Valerio Schitti and Paolo Rivera, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. There's five big battles going on in the real world and in the escape. And it's just, it all feels full of like classic Dan Slott moments. You know, you got twists, your turns. But one of my favorite bits is this full page where you have four of the big battles and four key characters at the heart of those. And they're all at the same time yelling, where the hell is Tony Stark? Yeah. It is really big, very funny, thrilling moment because we haven't seen Iron Man in the, the this issue to that point. He's actually in the escape dealing with his AI motherboard who, which believes it's his adopted mom and is messing with Tony and Tony's birth mom. I'll be honest with y'all, this one stirs up a weird bunch of stuff for me because it's one of the biggest anxieties of adoption and of being an adopted parent, which I'm not yet, but what I'm on the road to is like the feeling, the feelings your child has or will have about its birth family, like the, about the adoption, about all kinds of stuff. And it like, it's just it brings up a lot of anxiety. And I was like, oh, this is like really freaking me out right now. But the like the really intense stuff is quite heavy at and the end. Awesome flashback stuff in there. Oh, yeah. Kind of flashback to like classic old school like 1960s Iron Man with including like a little homage to the Iron Man cartoon and like theme. With the theme song. Yeah. I think that is the theme song. Right. The, the lyrics to the theme song uh, for the 60s cartoon. Had so much fun. Yeah. Uh, next up is Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 42. As my second and a half oh, yeah. pick of the week. Uh, it's written by Ryan North with art by Naomi Franquise, Derek Charm, and 
Oh, yeah. There she is. Erica Henderson. Yeah. Uh, with colors by Rico Renzi and letters by Travis Lanham. Erica actually has two covers for this issue. One of them is a variant. But on the regular cover, there's like little exclamation points next to her name in the credits <laughs> like listed. You know, like it says North Henderson. And like next to Henderson's got a bunch of exclamation points yeah. because she's been off the book for a while. It's really fun. And it also makes a joke on that cover about it being 50 issues of Squirrel Girl, even though it's only number 42 and it just kind of like it's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just the, the tone of Squirrel Girl comes through even on the covers. But like the wackiness works because this is like a story about time travel and different Doreens having to, you know, like different Doreens from different eras having to work together against Kang the Time Traveler. The story is super fun. It's very sweet seeing sort of like a 10-year-old, a 20-year-old, and I would say like a 70-year-old version of her and what she is in these different time frames and like how she thinks about being a hero. It is gorgeous, fun. All the artists come in and do like their parts really, really well. Erica coming back to sort of like bring it all together is, is awesome. But I will say part of why I, I love this book so much is uh, there's a sequence with Monkey Joe. Mm-hmm. And Monkey Joe is Squirrel Girl's old squirrel friend. Previous to Tippy Toe, she had Monkey Joe. Monkey Joe was killed by like a disgraced former member of the Great Lakes Avengers. I remember that st- story was from a bunch of years ago. I think Dan Slott wrote it. But in this issue, we see 10-year-old Doreen with Monkey Joe. And there's just this moment where like 20-something-year-old Doreen talks to Monkey Joe is like, I love you. You were the best. I almost started crying at my desk because yeah. like, you know, you have these like this idea of being able to go back and see your like someone you're so close to. How much emotion is packed into that little interaction? I told Ryan this. I was like, I sent him a message. I was like, man, this like you got me. Yeah. I love this book. I love what you do. But you just destroyed me. Yeah. I'm at work right now. How dare you? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, you monster. Uh, he was very happy to hear that. He wanted to make me cry at work. So <laughs> he is uh, tremendous. It also has great commentary for the first issue of Squirrel Girl going way back 50 issues ago. So pull that issue out. Look at that. Ryan gives some really fun commentary to it all. Yeah, it's great. Up next is Uncanny X-Men Winter's End, number one. And what an ending it is. Written by Cena Grace, art by Nathan Stockman, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is Iceman's birthday, and so he has a party. Uh, Lots of funny little surprises and guests and stuff that pop in throughout the issue. But one of my favorite things in this issue is that Cena tackles a big thing that I have about the Morlocks and the mutants. And he addresses, like, hey, someone just help them like <laughs> give them something to help start them into living not so much in the sewers yeah. like you can get them out of the sewers <laughs> x-men please start do there. something just help so actually cena makes a really logical fun smart move here and nathan stockman he's the best yeah he's just so good he has a panel of iceman going all ragey and it's like, ah, and it is 100% without me having asked Nate, Nate this. I know for a fact it's got to be Nathan doing an homage to Dragon Ball because I know <laughs> Nate loves Dragon Ball because he and I have talked about that. And it looks very much like Vegeta screaming in rage and powering up. It is so much fun. Also, 
we have uh, like a handbook style bio page mm-hmm. for Shade, the drag queen mutant we met in the Iceman series. She has a new name, Dark Veil. We get origin, bio, powers, all that kind of stuff. I really hope we see more of her. Yeah, totally. Next up this week, we have Winter Soldier number four. It's written by Kyle Higgins with art by Rod Rice and letters by VC's Clayton Cowles. I, w- one of my favorite things about this series so far is that we've taken Bucky Barnes, who I think has been presented historically as, of course, like a sidekick. You know, he's like Cap sidekick. He's kind of there on the side. That's how he was introduced. And that's, I think, sometimes how people think of him, certainly pre-Winter Soldier. But now that he is the Winter Soldier, now that he is who he is, this kind of fully realized hero, it's so cool to see him kind of have his own sidekick, his own kind of second, his own kind of ward. And that is this character, RJ, that we've gotten to know over the past few issues. I think the best part about it in terms of the emotional relationships going on here is the friction between Bucky and RJ because the point of what Bucky is doing right now, he's kind of trying to be the Kickstarter for redemption for these characters that maybe have become misguided. They've maybe gone down the wrong path and he's kind of there to present a second chance for so many different characters. So to see him who is kind of always just looking for the best in whoever he comes across he wants the best for rj but to see rj who's a kid at the end of the day kind of buck against that no pun intended none intended it's it's rough and and i think it was played really really well because there is you know there there are a lot of complex emotions to be had here uh and to see where it's going next is it's going to be really really exciting really interesting you buried the lead. Yes. This issue has Bucky in a tank top petting a cat. Yep. The end. Sold 20 <laughs> copies right there. Uh, up next is Wolverine the Long Night number three. And this is written by Benjamin Percy, art by Marcio Takara, colors by Matt Mila, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, you got Wolverine. He's busting heads and popping claws in Alaska. Yeah. I should have been doing the commercials for the, the, the podcast, right? Like, hey, guys, you got to listen to Marvel's Wolverine the Long Night, where Wolverine's popping claws <laughs> and busting heads. Sounds like a monster truck rally commercial. Is it version. not? Yeah. It's a lot of fun. This one takes us through some nasty stuff with uh, some of the local wildlife and the agents giving a once-over to pretty much everyone and everything. Yes. My last book this week is X-23, number 10. It's written by The Great. Mariko Tamaki with pencils by Diego Olotegui, inks by Walden Wong, colors by Chris O'Halloran, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. We've gone on a really interesting journey in this story arc alongside this uh, interesting kind of clone, kind of um, cyborg uh, that Gabby and uh, Laura have come across. They have this kinship with, and it's led them to this giant crazy robot factory that now they're stuck in and they have to get out of. It is, uh, I you know, I remember having this feeling with Tom Taylor when he was writing All New Wolverine. I definitely have it now with Mariko in X-23. is just like you have such, such real drama going on and, and so much action. There's just blood, so much going on. But also you just have these pure moments of absolute release and joy. And a lot of the time that comes via Gabby and is one of the reasons why she's one of the best characters in Marvel Universe. And, um, you know, I was like sweating a little bit during this issue. It was, mm-hmm. it was great fun. Yeah. The last bunch of panels is super sweet. 
and a bit heartbreaking. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, man. Yeah. Whew, real good stuff. Real good. Up next, and our last book of the week is X-Force, number four. Written by Ed Brisson, art by Dylan Burnett, and colors by Jesus Arbutov, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. What an end to this first arc. I mean, so four issues, the sins of the past arc, where we've got like this sort of racist nation who is trying to get rid of all the mutants. They bring in Ahab, who is this also racist, anti-mutant thing. But then he flips on them and he gets all super powered up and messing with Deathlock. But the last two pages of this, as the kids say, I am shook. <laughs> I am shook, Tucker. The key info on what's up with Sexy Young Cable, which was really good, like understanding his mission, what he's been doing, what he's trying to do, who he's after really is really important. And understanding that makes me like the character even more. I love Dylan's art on this book. Really knows how to like throw on some thick lines, really accentuate certain things and like adds a weight to a lot of the characters. Uh, Lots of deep blacks and shading, really unique and cool figures and and really wonderful facial expressions. Which is really cool. Yeah, when I mentioned earlier, like there were a couple issues that had pages that Mm -hmm. were like, what? Yeah. This was this is one of the other I was ones like, that I was like, <laughs> what? No, yeah. I read this yesterday. I was like, no, wait, what? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So cool. So much fun. Uh, collections on sale this week. We have on offer Daredevil Masterworks Volume 13, Death of Wolverine Companion, Decades Marvel in the 60s, Spider-Man Meets the Marvel Universe, Defenders the Best Defense, Domino Volume 2, Soldier of Fortune, Fantastic Four, Heroes Return, The Complete Collection Volume 1. Gambit, Thieves World, Iron Man Epic Collection, Return of the Ghost, and War of the Realms Prelude. Hot dog. Lots of stuff. Um, Let's see. A bunch of digital collections also on this. uh, Add in some Star Wars and some Vader. Uh, But on Marvel Unlimited, lots of more recent books. But also, there are some classics in here. Old 70s Captain Marvel issues. Uh, so if you want your Marvel, there's a bunch of stuff in there and tons more. Like just a lot of really good comics. Totally. And it's Marvel Unlimited. The best bang for your buck in the business, Tucker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next week, I think we'll be fine, actually. Next week is going to be fine. We're going to record it. No sweat. I'm going to be in L.A. next week. Mm. I've got two days of super secret, really cool meetings going on. That I will be talking about eventually on This Week in Marvel, but I'm very excited. You can enjoy it. Are you going to be working from the, the office over there? A little bit. A okay. little bit. Probably there. Probably just. Say hi to that new carpet for me. Ooh. They got new carpet over there, apparently. New carpet? <laughs> like... I'm coming for you. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.